You know, I think that everyone, if you work in this space long enough, is going to face this kind of moment. Welcome back to the Facts About Packs podcast. I'm Michaela Isler, NAPAC's executive director. And today I'm joined for an unplugged episode by David Schild and Adam Belmar. Nice to be able to finally put my hair down, Michaela. You wear it very well, my friend. Uh, but it is nice, though, when, you know, opportunity arises to pull back the throttle and take a few minutes to kind of gab about the stuff flying around out there right now. There's a lot going on, Adam. Oh, oh, yeah. No, there's something uh, certainly hit the fan and is blowing around out there right now in the world of campaign finance. I can't escape it. I mean, people say, oh, the, the number one PAC podcast in America. You guys are always talking about PAC. Well, you know, which part of the government affairs function. And when you see a candidate in crisis, David, like this George Santos thing, I'm just standing back and I'm aghast. I always get nervous when I'm asked to appear on a show where the focus is resume inflation and fantastic stories. (laughs) Because I think, well, is this going to apply to me in any way? But no, you're right. It's it is a fascinating thing to watch, but it is a moment to learn for people in the professional community. You know, we can watch the late night jokes about these stories and some of them have been funnier than others but as professionals i think you have to say there's a teachable moment here and there's something that i can bring back to the office so that i'm ready for what might come next michaela i i think about this santos thing and i'm like i don't know what's going on in that dumpster fire over there but i do know that when you are doing campaign finance violations when you're running afoul of the FEC, when you are committing a federal crime, the repercussions of this are very serious. And we know about that because we all operate in compliance with all of these laws. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's not the first time. It's not going to be the last time. Do I take comfort? The Federal Election Commission is all over this. They have resources at their disposal to track this down, investigate it. Um, It doesn't happen all the time, but it it does make all of us in this space, you know, nervous because who did we give to? Did we support these people that are being called into question? How could we have missed, you know, did we miss the tea leaves? Did we not vet the candidates properly? So it's just, it's a moment, as Dave said, to to pause and and learn and and how can we ensure that we have sound processes in place uh, to manage this going forward? You know, I think that Everyone, if you work in this space long enough, is going to face this kind of moment where you look at your own ledger, where you look at your own monthly reports and you say, you know what, our money is potentially going to be associated with something negative in the news cycle. And we know that there's sort of an adversarial class out there that's always gunning for the corporate political action committees. But I think it this is the unpredictable crisis, right? This is the moment that you sort of can't imagine. But you can prepare for, and I would say sort of coach against as a pack manager. And the reason I say that is because there's this concept out there, good stewardship of the dollars with which you are entrusted. And I really have always believed that. It's not a line for me. People are handing you their money and you need to take care of it. And part of taking care of it is not just deploying it to further the business interests of your organization. It's to make sure that it's not spent in places where the blowback, the negative feedback can come back and really hit you, perhaps hit your compliance, perhaps hit your recruitment, your public image. There's any number of implications, right, 
when your name and your brand become affiliated with something that we would classify as a scandal. So being a good steward means having candidate criteria, having rules by which you give to folks. And candidly, it means doing your homework. You don't have to meet with and interview every candidate, but I don't think a check should ever go out the door. If you don't know something about that candidate, if you haven't done a little bit of research, again, you are sending other people's money out into the world. And I think you have a duty to do more than just check a box. I think you really need to understand the people you're giving to. And I get that that's hard to scale. When you talk about multi-candidate packs that may be giving to hundreds of candidates, not just at the federal level, but at the state level as well. Yeah, I'm really glad that you just said the state level because I'm, as, I'm, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking – we all understand that there are 50 state houses and that the number of state legislators so vastly exceed the number of federal legislators. But I, I also think about all the preparedness that our community does. We have such great compliance programs. We've got great vendors to help with compliance. People are always focused. Members of NABPAC in particular do this religiously. But you know what else we do? We pay attention, not only to when we have to file, but when others file. It's it's sort of a hits, runs, and errors in the campaign finance world. And when you have, in this case, in some cases, a candidate in crisis means they're refiling their FEC reports. And that's what journalists are looking at. I read this morning, Associated Press's account, some 17 revisions to one individual form that was submitted to the FEC on the part of this candidate, candidate committee for Mr. Santos. And that's just the tip of that iceberg. So we know what it is to file to be accurate the first time, right? You don't beg for forgiveness. You're always on your A game here. Yes. And I would also say this one in particular got by a lot of people. I mean, even the Democrats' own opposition research didn't have some of this insight and intel. And so, you know, we can have the best screening, the best processes in place, all of that. There is going to be from time to time a candidate that squeaks through for some reason, like this one did. And even if with the best plan in place, with the best crisis communications team, with the best of everything, it, this is going to happen from time to time. And you just need to know it and be prepared. You know, I was very fortunate to be affiliated with uh, several PACs, you know, that were involved in hundreds of races around the country, right? And at that scale, uh, every once in a while, there is going to be a, a negative news story about somebody to whom you are making a financial contribution. But the unpredictable stuff, I, I have... I mean, I, I can recall, you know, two sort of incidents. One, um, I was sitting in a PAC leadership meeting. We were coming up with our annual budget. And as we were going race by race, state by state, candidate by candidate, I'm looking at my BlackBerry. And this really dates me now because, of course, it was a BlackBerry in my hand. And I'm watching a candidate say something, I would say, rather uh, stupid on national television. And I'm watching this person's political fortune sort of ignite uh, you know, and, and come apart in real time. And there we are literally deciding, you know, how much are we going to support this individual? And fortunately, I was watching the news and I was sort of aware of what was going on politically. And I think, you know, there is a temptation sometimes to say, well, that's the lobbyist job. I can sort of bury my head in the sand and I can fundraise and worry about compliance. I don't think that's accurate. You know, you've got to be all over Axios, Politico, CNN. You need to know what's going on in politics generally. So that you are the first person to speak up and say, you know, there, there might be a problem with this candidate. You know, sometimes you have to be a little bit more reactive than others. But is that something that I could have, 
you know, completely protected against? No, there are always going to be these sort of meteor events that come, you know, out on a clear blue day to surprise you. And it behooves you to act quickly, but you also need to be prepared for when things go sideways. Yeah, that's why I'm a big fan of, you know, leading up to an election, you know, getting in front of as many candidates as you can personally, because it may not be blowing up in the media, but you may just have a good feeling in one of these meet and greets about a candidate or, you know, just a gut instinct that something might not be right. And that has happened to me many times. And so that's when it's incumbent upon the PAC directors to be sure that they too are out there meeting these candidates, hosting meet and greets, getting to know both sides, who's running in the key races that they're following so that they can provide that intel back. So, you know, go to those trade association events, go to, you know, the the political events and make sure you have a really good read on these candidates and can make informed decisions about who you're supporting. I think especially in open races, especially in open races, right? This is something you absolutely have to do, Michaela, because once somebody gets to Washington, right? Let's talk about congressional candidates just for here for a second. Once somebody gets to Washington, they're going to establish a track record of performance in Washington in a fishbowl media environment. They're going to have the bright lights on them all the time. They're going to establish a reputation and you're going to figure out pretty quickly who the serious people are and who the serious people are not. Open races where you have candidates coming in from every level of sort of political sophistication are a place where if you're not careful, you might look around your table and go, has anybody met this person? Nobody's met this person. Does anybody know anything about this candidate? Nobody knows anything. That's when the red flags start going up the pole, right? That's when you start to say, maybe before we write this check, we do a little bit of due diligence. Because again, we are using other people's money. If you keep that as a sort of a North Star, I think you're going to act in a more responsible manner. Today, as I was thinking about our show, our unplugged episode of the number one pack podcast in America, I'm looking through my feed, as you do, and I see my friend Howard Mortman, who is the communications director at C-SPAN, has shared out into the world the first congressional one-minute speech that was written by ChatGPT. And I'm like, wait a second, we just did that. The reaction to this technology when I show it to people is like pulling off a great card trick. People are amazed. I mean, it, almost to a person, their jaws are on the floor when you say, do this function. I mean, I was collaborating with a friend of mine the other night and he said, well, I'm, I'm searching for some talent. Let's, um, let's write a job description. Boy, oh boy, it pounded out an amazing job wreck in real time. And he was kind of looking More than around 80%, like, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was kind of looking around like, I, this is unbelievable technology. And I said, yeah, it is. And, and it's going to be baked into a lot of applications that we, that we use every day. Now, I will tell you amongst communicators, there is still a consensus that there are, there are serious holes in this product versus human capability. But as we're recording this show today, uh, I think it's uh, The Verge has laid off a significant number of its writing staff, announced that they will be using AI to write articles, and their stock is up significantly. So the market is clearly seeing this as a major disruptive force, and I think it'll be interesting to see where this goes. Am I going to get fired, Michaela? Is this my last podcast? I don't know. We'll have to see. No. Well, that that's exactly right. I think uh, just since we did the show last week, it it's just literally everywhere we turn. 
uh, I saw something on, you know, one of the social media channels and it's one of those, you know, 20 second ads. Let me show you how to make thousands of dollars every month with AI. I mean, just the business opportunities are going in, in directions we can't even almost comprehend. Truthfully, it is going to be impressive to see. I, uh, I was listening to Bloomberg radio the other day and they had a segment uh, about what the future of regulation looks like, right? Everyone wants to think, well, government's going to get involved and we've got to regulate. And then you start to sort of let that ruminate and you think, well, oh my God, is that going to touch my company? Is that going to touch my industry? Because you just don't know. I mean, the unknown unknown here, they say roads lead to Washington, David, but I don't see this as some major issue for every one of our companies right away. But I mean, how long? What's the over under on the 118th Congress legitimately trying to they don't even know what crypto is. OK, I but tell me. Yeah, I think we're a ways away. Yeah. The the serious thinking, I will tell you from my perspective in artificial intelligence and autonomy um, has long been at the Department of Defense because of the applications for military technology, right? where there are some very serious overtones about you know who makes a decision when you're talking about war, when you're talking about conflict. And so if you want to look at where some of the most serious thought about the ethics of AI is being done, it's being done at the Pentagon, right, where they have to consider manned versus unmanned solutions. And you're seeing, quite frankly, uh, a lot of this play out in real time in Ukraine right now, right, where autonomy is and, and artificial intelligence are sort of you know, changing the shape and color of, of warfare. But yeah, I agree. The government, if it's hot enough, is going to go after it, right? And I don't mean that in a pejorative sense. I mean, they're going to want to tackle it as a, as a topic. Uh, this week, we had any number of U.S. senators making Taylor Swift puns because America has declared that Ticketmaster is charging too much for her shows. So, you know, where there's light and there's heat, uh, there will often be congressional action. I haven't heard much on that front from our membership just yet, but... As a NAP activity, we do have our first luncheon of the year next week, and I imagine we'll get a better sense when we convene and bring, again, record attendance with folks coming to our luncheon next week. But I think we'll hear, I think we're going to start to hear more. You know, one thing that I noticed at the post-election conference was that these gatherings, these in-person events, and NAPAC is a leader in this space, it makes them a little bit more special. It makes those convenings, it makes those in-person gatherings uh, a little bit more impactful because a lot of us are, you know, standing in our kitchen slash office all day long. And so I think those kinds of things are great. It, it puts value back in them because, you know, you got to pull out that starch shirt and uh, tweeze your eyebrows and show up. <laughs> I will say, though, I think that people want to get back to the way things might have been before, you know, go to this breakfast and go to the next meeting, then go to the next lunch but then I'm finding the day of it's it's a little harder to pull yourself, uh, you know, sort of out of bed and into the heels and, you know, get the suit on and, and fight the traffic and make your way into town. Um, so I think we are in a bit of a transition and just trying to get back to some, you know, I mean, I think, you know, some sense of normalcy. For, I don't know. It'll ever be like it was before, but um, we do see the day of folks are really kind of struggling with, is it really worth doing all that to get back into it? Yeah. And, 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 and that's the thing also, I mean, you know, not to, to belabor any of this, but there's room for that now, right? Yeah. Self-care or family care or managing all of the things that go into being the best employee you can be. 
we sort of recognize that we don't all fit into a nine to five world and that things have to flex. And I know that's one of the ways that you run NAPAC, but it's also one of the ways that we can relate to everybody else who's in our pack and the people that we're talking to every day, wherever they are. Um, we're all yeah. the same. I think you've got to kind of meet the members where they are. And, and that's going to be, we're trying to find that sweet spot. And so trying to find a mix of in-person, you know, sort of virtual events um, yeah. is, is going to be key. The pack director role model is Gumby. You need to be flexible <laughs> when the wind changes, when the earth shakes, you need to be able to bend and not break. And certainly the last three years have forced that upon a lot of us. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, good talk, guys. Thanks for kicking all that around today. Very good. Very yeah, it was fun. a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Subscribe, everyone, all of our listeners, and meet us right back here on the Facts About Packs podcast. Mm-hmm.